0: don't chase a title, just don't um, do it. I've done it, right? And probably one of my worst career decisions leaving Deloitte, going to the company I went to after Deloitte was a title chase. You know, I was like, I'm ready. On, oh, give it to me. I got over there and I was like, what is this place? <laughs> right? And so it, it was um, work that I could do, work that I absolutely could do, but the culture wasn't a good fit. And I left an organization that was an amazing culture No, to an organization that wasn't such a good fit and i was chasing the title because i was checking a box for myself
1: hello welcome to relatable this is your host Teresa freeman in this next episode i speak with laquenta jacobs who is the chief diversity officer at xpo logistics We talk about how she landed a role in which she is fulfilled and very passionate about the work she's doing. We talk about how she landed that job. And throughout our discussion, we hear one great piece of advice after another. If you are aspiring to have a career in human resources, you're a leader of people, or you frankly just want to learn about how you can grow and develop, this is the podcast for you. Enjoy this episode. So it's great to see you. I love that we're on video this time. I should say for our listeners that Q uh, is very generous in that this is our sort of second (laughs) try at our discussion because somehow I did something, I don't know, with our audio. So really appreciate that you're with me here and now and that we get to have this conversation and excited for people to learn more about you and learn about what you're doing and talk about your... Awesome career. I feel like there's such great stories that you have, and also insight that you can share about how you've navigated to where you are now. So, thank you.
0: You're welcome, and thank you for having me again.
1: (laughs) No problem. You are the most gracious human. And we're like, it's fine. I was like, oh, good old Q. So, so reasonable and kind. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Uh, let's start with your role today, what you're doing and how long you've been in it. I think when we talked last time, it was still pretty new, but I think, I don't know if you would still characterize it as new, but tell me, tell me what you're doing and let's get into that a little bit.
0: No problem. The diversity space feels like, you know, dog years, right? So I feel like I've been doing this 20 years, although I've been enrolled for now a year and a half. Well, almost two years. So I'm the chief diversity officer at a logistics company called XPL Logistics. Mm-hmm. And I was appointed in my role in August of 2020. And so we are entering into my second year leading the DEI strategy for our organization
1: and what's that been like for you i mean you you talked about kind of dog years right and i think those of you that are actively in this space i feel like it's one of those and you tell me if i'm wrong but it feels like there's so much opportunity and there's a lot of visibility and you know press out there in terms of the discussion so i would think on one hand that's a good thing it seems like maybe to affect change and to affect systemic change and to try to really drive a different way of thinking and operating that maybe is harder than just the discussion, right? So you see a lot of activity and then you're like, wow, how do we know that we're actually moving the needle? So just tell me what it you know, maybe what a day in the life is like, or what it feels like to be in that position.
0: No problem. To, to your point, the DE&I space is evolving, right? right. And it, it feels different in every organization that you're in. And I think when I talk to my colleagues across the space, there's, there's commonality, there's similarities, but there's also great differences. I think one of the challenges that we face is not getting caught up in the flavor of the moment or what is the most popular thing to do around the de space and really aligning your de strategy to the business. So for me, a day in the life, it, my, my role has truly evolved. Mm-hmm. When I first stepped into position, it was an opportunity for me To pull together all the things that we were doing from an organization perspective that fell under our umbrella of diversity, equity, and inclusion. What did our training look like? You know, what was our onboarding like? What were our recruiting principles and processes? All of those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Who, Who were we in relationship with and where were we partnering to build our diversity framework? And it's evolved from that into really addressing business imperatives through strategic DE and I planning. Mm-hmm. And I think if someone in this space can get to that place, that is where you really are able to impact change. Yeah. Um, and so we are starting, you know, that journey of getting to the place of addressing our business imperatives through our DE and I framework, and having our businesses take it on as a, as a strategy as well. So that's. That's kind of what the day in the life of my world looks like. There's a lot of, you know, metrics and reporting and assessing those metrics, putting programs in place, building programs, and then addressing or assessing the impact of those programs. Are they having the intended impact that you want? So there is quite a bit of work that goes around metrics. and So it is a heart and a head job, right?
1: Yeah, well, that's true of most talent HR people, right? I feel like that's a great way to describe what we do generally in terms of. There's a lot of heart, and then there's a lot of thinking and analytics and strategy that goes into what we do that people might not always think about or know, right? In terms of talent, so tell me a little bit about this opportunity in terms of you had you know what was the role that you were in before? And I think when we talked prior to this, you know, you, you didn't even. This wasn't necessarily a goal of yours, if I remember that correctly, right? So this was something that evolved and became an opportunity. So tell me how, and, and I think you enjoy it, tell me, tell me otherwise now, but it's it's turned into this really cool opportunity where you have breadth and depth that maybe you weren't planning for. So tell me how that transpired and how you evolved into this spot.
0: So my position directly before this one was leading HR for one of our two, three of our business lines within the organization. So I had a, a senior HR role where I was leading the HR strategy for those particular businesses. And that is kind of where my role was. From there, I was kind of tapped on the shoulder to do some DE&I work for the organization, kind of talking about our women in leadership programs, mm-hmm. talking about the advancement of women we were doing in our organization. And that work started prior to the emphasis of me getting in this position. And so that, I think, carried me forward. The luxury that I've had, even back to my days when you and I worked together at Deloitte, was I was always involved in something that had to do with DEI, whether it was our Women in Technology program, right? It was, you know, our Women in uh, Federal Practice program, leading our college initiatives. There was always an aspect of my job that I found great pleasure in, in aligning people to the organization and ensuring they had a voice and that their careers were able to be laid out for them. And so that work has made it very interesting for me and been an easier transition for me into the DEI space because I wasn't. Unfamiliar with kind of the terms and the
1: concepts. Like it, it was a natural move, right? In terms it was of, was a natural move. Yeah, yeah a
0: very natural move. Yeah.
1: And as as a, I'm interested. Like as an African American woman, as as someone who has navigated this to some extent in your own life in your career, how does how does that feel to be where we are now? What what's changed and evolved that you've seen in a, in a good way? What are some of your thoughts about what still needs to change? I, I'd be curious as someone, I think your perspective is unique and helpful in the role that you're in for obvious reasons, <laughs> but, I, but certainly, I mean, interested in terms of your own career and, and I don't know how that factors into it. And, and is this an emotional, I mean, you talked about the heart. So I would think like the work is personal, you know, and talk to me a little bit about that, if that's
0: the case. So I'll start at the end and, and go Yeah, ahead. okay. Right. The work for me is very personal. And I will say that this is an opportunity in my career. I've been doing HR for like 25 plus years. It's hard to say that. I can't oh, even I know. believe it, but that's true. But I've been doing HR for 25 plus years. And this role is an opportunity for me to align passion with purpose. I feel like yeah. the culmination of my career has led me here. The experiences I've had, the experiences I've coached people through, the experiences as an executive coach or, you know, an advisor to leaders has brought me to this place to have a, ba- a basket of tools, right, that I can use that are practical in the DE&I space. The challenge um, that we have just in the space period, and even for me accepting this role, is there's always a catalyst for change. So when you think about kind of the LGBTQ movement, you know, marriage and and civil rights was a, a catalyst for change for them. When you think about the black community, you know, civil segregation. And equality and voting rights for women, there's always been a catalyst for change. So, when the George Floyd situation happened, it was a catalyst for change in our nation and in our organizations that needed to happen. We had gone to a place of compliance within the DEI framework. It was a check the box exercise where you're meeting your affirmative action plans, kind of that stuff. But really, what people were saying in organizations is that we want culture. We want to feel like we belong. We want to feel like we're valued for the diversity we bring to the table. And not just those who are underrepresented, but employees as a whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wanna know that there's equal opportunity for advancement and we had gotten away from that. So I think what, where we are now is the industry or um, the work around de has shed a light on the internal work we need to do in organizations. And if we don't take care of our capital, we're filling it right now in the Great Resignation. Our capital, mm-hmm. our human mm-hmm. capital will choose to go somewhere else. So it's much more than offering just a job. It is creating a, an opportunity for people to feel like they belong, that there's equitable processes, mm-hmm. that they're included, that their voice is included. And that is the work that we're doing and why it is so important. For me, as a Black woman, you know I've had challenges in the work environment, You know microaggressions and macroaggressions, those small things that you know are happening and you can't really put your finger on it and you question and you say, did that is she just did that really just happen? Right. Yeah. And then you have those systemic issues that are macro aggressions where there are perceptions around people or classes or races in an organization that are barriers to success. Luckily in the organization I work for, we don't have those, mm-hmm. you know, as prominent but i have felt those in the past and i've made choices to yeah. progress my career other places where i haven't felt that way
1: yeah it's interesting when you talked about the microaggressions or you talk about that feeling of that doesn't feel quite right and i i i actually talked a little bit about this with kp but i i think for for myself and and maybe other people that are not the main group <laughs> you know whatever that feels and looks like you know i think i was like head down just do my job and hope that it all works out. Right. And, and not really feeling like there was a voice or that even I, you know, I just kind of wanted to, I don't want to say hide from it, but I think Mm -hmm. I did in a way like in terms of owning it in a way that could help other people behind me. Right. And so what I think so great about where you are in terms of the opportunity that you have, but also the maturity and the experience to know how to use it and 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 how that can translate. You know, I just think it takes time and maturity to, to feel comfortable to be able to do that, even,
0: you know. When you make an organization uncomfortable, you know, you got to get uncomfortable right. in order to grow. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. in this space, when you make an organization uncomfortable, you've got to think about how are you going to support that level of uncomfort? Is it through training? Is it through resources? Is it through tools? Is it through education? And so it's not just stirring the Apple cart as they say you know, and bringing yeah. the concepts to the forefront, but is also supporting the organization and supporting the leaders and employees through the organization as they complete their own personal journey. And that is the very unique thing. We are all in a different place. We all have biases, every last one of us. Right. You know, sometimes they sit in front of us, sometimes they don't. Sometimes we're aware of them, sometimes they're not. And when you become aware of them, you start to question like, oh my God, am I a bad person? Right. You know, am I am I right. eating wrong? But it's that consciousness that leads you to be a better leader, that leads you to fairness, that leads you to equity, that leads you to inclusion, right? So it is making sure that leaders and organizations are conscious around the things that they're doing.
1: Yes. And I would say one of the things that you were great for me in terms of our friendship and working together, you made it so easy to talk about things that I was curious about but felt like I couldn't talk about because of the way I was educated and grew up. It was like, don't, don't engage in a conversation. Don't talk about it. Don't, don't even discuss your differences because that's offensive, right? There was all of this rhetoric or how we were supposed to, and you are one of the first people that broke down that barrier. And you were like, let's talk hair. Right. And we got to talk about like why my hair is different than your hair. And then just all sorts of things we talked about, right. In terms of we went from beauty to like the real, like meat of things that were helpful for me. It's the same with me. Like I grew up Catholic and talking to Jewish people. I have a good friend that's Jewish and, just there's a levity and a comfort to say, let's just talk about it without judgment and honestly. And I think it's such a powerful thing to be able to do that. And hopefully, we're creating more opportunities. And there's just hopefully a little bit more of a throughway for that
0: kind of conversation. Right, allyship before we knew what it was. Right. <laughs> exactly. 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 Allyship before we knew what it was. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So tell me too, I mean, you know, I'm all about story and how, you know, you're in this great role, you're successful, you are doing something at that intersection of passion and fulfillment, which is, you know, not, not everybody gets that. So, and I know, because I know you, that's not a straight line that, that, that's not always an easy path. Tell me about your career navigation and maybe just a couple of moments for you that were pivotal or that, you know, maybe it was a decision of, I need to make a change or, you know, you just talked before about, uh, you know, you left places, maybe that weren't aligned to your point of view. Like that's not always easy. So just talk to me a little bit about, you know, a couple of lessons learned or some pivots along the way that you think would be helpful for people that are, you know, managing their own career and navigating through that and trying to figure out what to do next.
0: So my story, I would say, Teresa, has been one of personal growth for LaQuinta, you know, (laughs) personal and professional growth. When I started my career, and I think you probably met me in in this section of my career, but I always thought from an HR perspective, you had to be absolutely perfect and know everything. And so one of my derailers for me very early on in my career was my lack of researching and resourcing and leaning on others. I felt like I had to be the person who knew it absolutely knew, you know, was the solution for all things. And so early in my career, I think I ran into roadblocks because while I was good at HR, I wasn't good at leveraging my colleagues who knew something a little bit more Mm -hmm. or listening or taking the opportunity to learn. And then once I realized, wait a minute, we're all part of the same team, right? There's things that I can learn from these other parts of the organization and other colleagues. And I got curious and felt comfortable inside of myself, to bring others into my space, to allow the collaboration and the the solutions to be provided to organizations, I started to grow. And so that growth opened doors for me that I don't think I would have had if I had stayed in the monochromatic mindset of you're the person, you solution it, you figure it out, right? You're the only person that can speak to your clients. You know, when we're when you're in a business partner role, it's important to bring the, the training team over. It's important to bring your comp and bend folks into the conversation or your recruiting team into the conversation. We know what the what the business issue is, but how can we all solve for it? And that's where It started to open doors for me. I think you were about to ask me a question. I
1: am, I know. I was Um, like, is that, do you think part of that is fear?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's fear. I think it's what's nurtured in organizations as Mm -hmm. well, kind of what's reward. And sometimes you have to get past what's rewarded to doing what's right. And so I had to find that balance of, this work doesn't feel right the way that I'm doing it. I know that we're supposed to be helping our human capital, helping our employees, you know, and, and one of my natural gifts is just aligning people in their careers. It's just something that, you know, has been my God-given talent. And luckily, I get a chance to work in HR doing that, right? Or in, in the space that I'm working in. So bringing people along to help that happen for an organization was, in, was pivotal for me. It also expanded my reach, you know, mm-hmm. meaning roles of a greater responsibility and impacting more people and more change. What was your degree in? My degree was in industrial organizational psychology. Okay, so
1: so close by. Were you a good student in high school? Were you someone that was, was driven and, and knew where you wanted to go? Tell me a little bit about what you were like at that time.
0: So, yeah, in high school, I will honestly say it came easy for me. Um, You're one of those people. (laughs) One of the, no, I said high school. So I'm about to clarify this. High school was easy for me. The only thing that wasn't easy for me was math. I'm not a math person. I just, you know, just didn't like it. I'm a theories, concept, you know, history, you know, that kind of person. When I got to college is when I really started to see my struggle and my my study patterns and my learning patterns change and realized personally for myself that I had to change some things up in order to be successful. So that first year of college wasn't my best, let's just say. (laughs) We made it, but it wasn't my best. (laughs) However, I was able to like get mentors, you know, talk to teachers and kind of work myself through that. But from a a learning perspective, concepts come really easy to me. I'm able to process or see something big and bring it down to a smaller Mm -hmm. bite size so that I can operate and work with it. Right. So I kind of, as I say, I chew up the meat and spit out the fat, you know, like what are the important things that you need to know out of all this data you've gotten and how do you solution for that?
1: It's interesting in terms of the going, so for high school to not be difficult, I think there's a lot of folks that have that experience that it either wasn't very challenging, it came fairly easy, it it wasn't, you know, you weren't necessarily stretched, and then you're in this environment where there's a lot of people like you that did well, and then it's what's going on here. So tell me, and I know you in in other, you know, at other times where there are difficulties or challenges, and so... And you're someone who I would characterize as like a fighter and resilient. And Mm -hmm. so tell me about when you are in these moments of challenge or, you know, it always feels like when you're failing, you know, it seems like such a cliche thing to say, but because, because I love the way you respond to things, I'm curious how you cultivated that sense of resilience or what what are some of the factors that contributed to you being able to be that way? Like right? maybe those that maybe that was more intentional in terms of your own development. Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills. Your one-stop shop for workshops, coaching, speaking and soft skills development. If you'd like to hire Teresa, visit www.tfasoftskills.com for more information.
0: So for me personally, it is taking personal accountability for the role you played mm-hmm. in whatever has happened. Yeah, you gotta, you know, things don't always happen to you. Sometimes they happen because of you, <laughs> and sometimes, <laughs> yeah, I know, <laughs> sometimes it's- you find yourself in situations where you know it is just not, it just wasn't meant to be. And so, how 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 long before the kind of event happened where you feel like you failed? Did you know and what did your gut tell you to do before then? And so for me, it has become a personal journey of listening to myself, understanding myself, taking personal accountability, and adding that to my toolbox and my professional acumen, my disposition, how I show up to be a better person. If if you are okay, then where you show up professionally is better, right? And so mm-hmm. a lot of the journeys that you see me go through have been personal uh, journeys where I haven't been personally okay, right? But- Professionally, I've been managing, and that that shows up. Right, um, it right. does show up in your work. It shows up in your in your ability to be thorough, quality decisions. Right, keeping your word, your commitments, owning your work—all of those things that are critically important to your brand can be tarnished if you're if you're not personally accountable.
1: I love I love that, and I think that. Not only the accountab- accountability, recognizing where others might have strengths. You talked about this before about bringing other people into the conversation and that maybe being based in fear. And I think having to say for so long, I fought, I am not a detail oriented person. Mm-hmm. And when anyone, when that would come up for me or people would say that to me, it was like shameful for me. And so Mm -hmm. I felt that I was stupid. I felt that like this one thing that it, and it is important to, to be accountable to the details. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so we all have parts or facets that, that I think in a role, and this is at any age, I think where you have three quarters of the pie, but you don't have the whole pie. And so that's okay. Right. Recognizing that that's okay. And then doing what you can to develop the skill, even though it may not be inherent to you, doing the best you can with that skill. And then when you get to a point where you don't, you can find other people (laughs) that are good at that skill and to, to augment your strengths. I mean, that, that, that diversity of thought and, and the way that we deliver on things. I mean, I've become so much more appreciative and seek that out than I did in the beginning. So And now I can say it proudly (laughs) that I have an issue with details and it doesn't define me. And there's these other things that define me and that's how I want to be known in the world. And it just means I'm a work in progress. But it it's hard to to have that mindset when you want to do well and you're
0: conscientious would you say- you can- I have a model? Yeah, I have a model. find a way or make a way, right? Yeah. And that's my motto. And I think you've seen that kind of play out in my life. Yeah. Find a way or make a way. You, you gain agreement on what the outcome needs to be. You can't be married to the process. You figure the process out, you know, and you bring people along to help you. I think from a corporate perspective, though, or when you think about it in a corporate side, you've got to be able to give people an opportunity to also shine, share the spotlight, right, and allow them to be able to bring their skill sets forward. And when you and your partnerships can say, hey, I'm bringing you along because you're an expert in this, I really need you to shine in this space. You create space for people to do that for you as well, and you also create. You build confidence in your colleagues. You build confidence in your direct reports, in the people that you work with, and it also creates a brand for them. So it's not just all about yourself. Can't be all about yourself in this space. Um, you got to create space for others. I think, and if you're able to do that, you you will. You can go further with uh, a group of people than you can by yourself.
1: Agree. I'm curious your thoughts, and I don't know if you'll be able to, if this is a conscious thing or just who you are as a person. I have a newsletter and it's it's interesting that the timing, it's coming out in the beginning of February and I focus in these different areas of soft skills. And so this month we're talking about communication and we're actually talking about humor and communication yes. <laughs> and you have a great sense of humor and I wonder how that has served you. Right. And I think, and by that, I mean, taking, you know, what what I mean is how seriously do you take yourself? Right. And, and that humor and levity, yeah, things are important. And there's a seriousness to work at the same time, having a sense of humor and being able to laugh at yourself and, you know, and let those insecurities fly or whatever they are. right? I, I you know, I think you're someone that I've always felt like we were kindred spirits in that way. So yes. so how has it served you or,
0: or what are your thoughts on that? I think you and I connected, uh, Teresa, because you were authentic oh, yeah. and you were authentically who you are. And that is something that I've learned. I I suffer from imposter syndrome when I first came to corporate America. Figuring out, you know, as a Black female, normally in leadership spaces, wanting to show up like my colleagues that didn't look like me, mimicking behaviors that didn't look like me, wondering if I was selected because of my skill set or because of a quota or a talent or a fit, right? Mm -hmm. All of that became a challenge. And when I grew into authentically understanding who LaQuinta was... I showed up differently. And I think that is what I bring to my day-to-day relationships, whether it's inside of work or outside of work. I'm authentically who I am. So you got to laugh your way through some of this stuff to prevent yourself from crying, but you also have to know your audience and when it's appropriate and when it's not appropriate and having relationships with people and building relationships with people will also help you navigate that, but be authentically who you are. That was something that one of my leaders, two of my leaders, I will never forget Tim Goodley and Loretta Walker (laughs) were the two leaders who shared that with me and they pulled me to the side and was like, you're not being authentically who you are. You're trying to be somebody different And you need to be yourself. And when you show up as yourself, some of these challenges you're having with connecting with people are going to go away.
1: And how scary is that to, to do that? If you've if you've spent time creating a persona, if that's the right way to characterize it, how scary was it to to be more authentic? And if you can, can you talk a little bit about what that actually is? Like, what does that look like? How does that how did that change for you?
0: Yeah, this was in the early 2000s in my career, and I I took the bullet and asked for feedback around how I was showing up. And I started to ask people, like, how do I show up in meetings? What do you see me doing in meetings? Mm -hmm. You know, is my kind of charge and, and take forward approach, is it isolating to others? You know, I started asking some hard questions, and I had to be quiet and listen to the feedback. And I realized that perception is reality. Mm -hmm. And so my intent may not have been that way. My heart was definitely not in that place. But the work person and the way I was showing up was not one that was gathering the truths. It may have been isolating the truths, And so I had to Mm -hmm. figure out how I wanted to show up differently. But I wouldn't have known that if people wouldn't have given me the gift of feedback. But I had to ask for it. And I had to listen to it. And I had to make adjustments, right? <laughs> and part of that was, and you remember this, I would say after a meeting, how did I do? Mm-hmm. You know, what was this? You know, how did, that, how did I present? I wanted to know the feedback because I authentically wanted to be seen as someone who knew what I was talking about, but also a team player, right?
1: Yeah, it's so interesting you say that. Now, I do remember that now that you mention it. And I've had a couple of people work with me that have operated that way and I am similar and I I want to know that read of, I have a self-evaluation happening and I wanna understand is that accurate or not, right? And so, mm-hmm. and, and you know, after every meeting, overkill, but picking your moments and understanding when you are maybe on in a different way or you're using a different skill and you want that feedback. And I think I, one thing I've noticed it, in professional services, I actually, because people are your product, I found there was more of that. There was more conversation and feedback around actively coaching performance. I mean, and, and particularly where we worked, right? It's a high bar. And so there's, there's that too. And I wonder if it's a, I'm wondering now if it's time and how, where we are and our maturity and what we're seeing in terms of people growing up and, and coming behind us. And if it's a different type of culture or, or, you know, I hate to, I'm not saying generation, I'm trying to stay away from that word, but I am curious, right. Or if it's institutional, like just kind of where we were and the kind of conversations that were happening. And I I miss it. I miss having people. And for anyone that's listening, that is entry level talent, or you're just starting your career, or you're moving from being an individual contributor to a manager, like the beauty of asking for feedback or giving it unsolicited. Um, I was just on an all hands call and a woman that works with me was presenting. She did a great job. So a quick ping to say that was fantastic. Like it's the little things, right? That like anybody, anytime someone's on having to present, it can be uncomfortable. I don't care if you're the most skilled presenter. It's nice to know someone was listening and someone mm-hmm. is reflecting back to you. So I feel mm-hmm. like it's so powerful and it's, not, it it's is
0: very powerful. And I don't know that it is. I think each work generation, I'm sorry to use the word, I know. but I think each work generation has its own rhythm and its own pulse, mm-hmm. but there's some fundamental principles that don't change <laughs> kindness, okay. respect right? Inclusion, being thoughtful, circling back, commitment to your word, making sure that you do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. Showing up, (laughs) right? There are just certain things that are fundamental principles that don't change. And when you can figure out that those principles create a brand for yourself, and that brand is what creates opportunity for you, then I think you, you know, you're, you're able to grow your career, I think we've learned that mm-hmm. because of professional services, you had yeah. to navigate, you had to flex quite a bit, depending yeah. on what audience you were in front of. But it definitely, I don't, I don't think those principles change at all. Mm-hmm. I think the rhythm um, and the technology, and the, how. the culture, right? The how changes, but I don't think the what changes.
1: Can we talk a little bit about soft skills? Just given that it's such a near and dear to my heart, activity in terms of what I'm trying to do around more promotion and education. What I call, I'm calling this like infotainment, right? So (laughs) we're, we're packaging it with really cool people that have great stories and interesting careers. I'm curious for you, what are some soft skills that stick out in terms of if i were to characterize you know critical success factors or those that either for you personally or get, i mean in given in your role and what you've observed as a leader what are the ones that stick out to you that people should be thinking about they should be developing them and and taking the same care with these skills as they do their technical competency
0: oh i think you said that perfectly you your soft skills are a strategic component to your brand. Mm-hmm. You cannot operate and be successful with terrible soft skills. And those are things like listening, giving space in a room for others to talk, not dominating the conversation. You may know it, but there's not always an op- You shouldn't always be the person dominating the conversation. And if you are why are you collaborating with others? You should be able to do it on your own, right? That's mm-hmm. one of the questions that we often ask when someone is in the room and they're dominating. Well, why am I here? You know. So if you're making people feel that way, then you have to step back and understand why. So I think, like you said, it's listening, active mm-hmm. listening. It is being able to pause and ask follow-up questions I also think a skill, and I don't know if you would call this a soft skill or not, but gaining agreement, understanding expectations, repeating what you think you heard to, for clarity is another um, way to to be able to gain agreement. Mm-hmm. Tone is extremely important. So knowing when you're on and when you're off and being able to say not today, but could we reschedule has been a a really important skill that I've learned. And to honor that when someone says that, it could be a project that they're behind the ball on, but they may not just be in the best mental space to collaborate that day. So being able to give space. And there's something about grace, Teresa, that is just Don't know how you put it, what words you put it in. But for me, it's grace, you know, giving grace to others for the same challenges or issues that you may have. You've missed an email before, you know, and jumping down someone's throat for missing an email. Remember when you missed one, because I promise you, if you don't, the cycle will come back around and you'll find yourself (laughs) eating that karma, right? Um, And so those are some of the things that I think are really important.
1: If you'd like to advertise with relatable, please email us at infotasoftskills.com at for more information. You know, there's that I think it's like a story or you know it's it's such a common story about road rage, right? Where there's someone in front of you and And they're going so slow and it ends up that their kid was in the back and they needed help. And right. And and you're just angry because they're not moving quick enough. And there was like a real situation Mm -hmm. happening in the car in front of you. And I I think I I try to do that often in terms of we don't think about it in the context of work always. I think we think, Mm -hmm. what do I've got to get done? What's the pressure that I'm under? What do I need to deliver on? And and it's very easy to become so linear focused on that, that you forget, oh, there's another human that has their own Mm -hmm. life and their own challenges and other things going on that impact their day, impact how they react. And it is a nice, it's, I feel, I'm interested because I think for you, I'm curious, is that something that you had to develop or, or were you sort of born like that? Because I, I feel grateful that I don't know that it's something I've had to work at very hard. Like, it's just, it's something that, you know, I I don't know if the people pleaser part of me, that's like the good side of that, right. That I'm sort of anticipating needs and, and always observing and reacting to that, which has its own trappings. But in this way, it's a great skill that I think has
0: helped me to be successful for sure. I think it may be just naturally who I am. I think it is. Um, so I watch others who are not naturally that way, and it's naturally not who they are. <laughs> but I've also yeah. had um, I've also had a tremendous amount of partnership, mentorship, people kind of seeing me as having something right that they that they think would benefit from their feedback. And so that feedback has also nurtured some of those skills to become better. In me. And that is something that I'm very grateful for. But
1: Let, let's talk about mentorship for a minute, because Ooh. I am curious how you have sought out mentors and what are some examples of and you've given some already, but where mentors have made an impact for you. I, you know, I think about I've been in some leadership programs where mentors were part of that program. And so it was baked in. And I, I appreciated that experience. It's funny how I have not outside of those prescribed experiences necessarily sought out or found people to be my mentor. And Mm -hmm. now when I went out on my own and I was like, what am I doing? (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I just naturally had to like grasp for people that I didn't realize were now, that have now become mentors, right? Because I was in this desperate place of need where I was like, <laughs> help me, help me. But what did it, it's such an important relationship. And so tell me a bit about that for you and like how you found them, did you seek them out and then what, how they've helped you?
0: So early, I would say early in my career, I was, you know, afforded the opportunity to be in a few development programs. Mm -hmm. So my mentors were assigned to me. These are the skills you have, LaQuinta, that are really good. These are the skills you're weak in. Your mentor is really strong in these areas. We're pairing you up with this person because we think they'll help you. And then, you know, you're questioning yourself, like, I don't really see that as a, I don't know that I agree with your assessment of my skills, (laughs) but okay, we'll go with it, right? So some of those mentors relationships have been given to me, and I've been able to manage those through development programs or leadership programs, those types of things. And then others, I have had the opportunity to sit with and engage with and watch work and navigate their jobs and say, I need that. Mm. How do I get that, right? The way you move, the way you talk, the way you move projects along your quality. How do you do that? And so I've sought people out to say, hey, and it's being transparent and being vulnerable to say, this is an area of weakness for me. I would like to mentor with you so that you can show me how to do what you do so easily. But it's also being very strategic about what you want. I would encourage anyone listening to this podcast to not go seek a mentor just to check a box so that you can get promoted, but because that becomes unauthentic and that relationship feels very unauthentic. It's not reciprocal. When you establish a true authentic mentoring relationship, that mentor is getting something from you just as much as you're getting something from mm-hmm. them. They're defining that thing that you're coming to get from them. You're, you're having to make them think about it and for them to be able to give you what's in their head or what's in their heart, right? To, to help you. So you have to be very authentic in caring about those relationships and understand that it's a give and get. The other thing is there's a difference between mentorship and sponsorship. And so I've had to learn the difference between the two as well. Having mentors and having people that will sponsor you, you know, who will sponsor you for that next opportunity, who will, who will be the voice when you're not in the room to say, no, nope, this is a quality that I've seen. And the way you build those sponsorship relationships is by being delivering on the small things. If you say you're going to do something, do it. If you're showing up, show up, right? If you're giving work, be give quality work. There was one of my leaders that used to tell me all the time, be tight and right. And I promise you that is ingrained in my head. Like you gotta have it tight and right. If you're sending an Excel document to, something small, right? To an executive, make sure it's in print format. Don't just send them a document that you haven't formatted, right? Take care of the work that you're doing and your sponsors will see that and you'll be able to get trusted with more because you're showing up, doing a good job at what you're handling today.
1: What do you think about being tapped for something versus you being strategic and goal oriented and, this is where I want to be. This is the thing I'm going after, right? Having goals and having specific milestones you want to hit versus being tapped along the way to say, I've seen you demonstrate these things, exactly what happened to you in your most recent role, right? It was this natural fluid progression. Tell me about that for you and and
0: your perspective on that. So I think they're equally, they go hand in hand, have to be able to articulate what you want to do and have a vision for yourself, for others to be able to champion that vision. However, it becomes less palatable when you are driving (laughs) that or you're championing yourself over doing the work. You know, I tell people all the time, bloom or planted, learn where, where you need to learn, show up. 1,000% at where you are, right? It's an over-exaggeration, but show up and performing where you are because as you're articulating wanting to do more, you're able to demonstrate that I can handle where I am, but I also have the aptitude and the capability of doing more. And then I think the other thing is understanding what that more is and what's required at that more. Don't chase a title. Just don't do it. I've done it, Right. And probably one of my worst career decisions leaving Deloitte, going to the company I went to after Deloitte, was a title chase. You know, I was like, I'm ready. On, oh, Give it to me. I got over there and I was like, what is this place? <laughs> right. And so it, it was um, work that I could do, work that I absolutely could do, but the culture wasn't a good fit. And I left an organization that was an amazing culture. No, it's going to an organization that wasn't such a good fit. And I was chasing a title because I was checking a box for myself. So I, I would encourage folks not to chase um, a title, but do the work, gain the experience that you need to gain so that when you're given the responsibility, you're able to be successful with that responsibility.
1: I think too, there's, you know, one of the, my biggest lessons is if it feels forced and and is really hard... Mm -hmm. And it's like you're white knuckling. Those are indicators that perhaps it's not the right role, the right time. Like, I think sometimes we... And this is me. I, I did this, but I think I hear it a lot in people that I coach. And I think it's a fairly calm, You work really hard. You get to a certain place. You feel it's deserved. You, you you can't believe that you don't have the sponsorship. It's like you know what do you want my blood? Like what you want my firstborn? Like what else can I give you? And it becomes an impasse versus a reflection and an opportunity to reevaluate and say, Am I really using my strengths? is could this, you know, when you think about relationships with people and, you know, the ease of relationships that work, there's a reason for that. And when relationships are very difficult and very combative and it's forced and uncomfortable, then maybe it's not the right relationship to be in. So that's taken me a really long time and it's very easy to say it like when you're not in the throes of it. But I I really like what you said about that It is compatible. Like you, you need to know who you are and what you want. That is important. And that gives you the compass. And then it's be reflective and, and a sponge to what's coming back at you to, to further validate or, or make you question, am I really
0: thinking about this the right way? right we all have a skill or a trade that we bring to the table right ours have the hr right that's our skill or trade right you can typically take that skill or that trade and you can do it in multiple different places when you start to find yourself challenged in an environment maybe that the skill or trade that you have is great but the culture and the environment that you're in is not a great fit and i i know personally from experience, sometimes you fight the ladder in that culture because it's where you think you want to be. And it isn't until you find your tribe that you really realize that I'm hitting on all cylinders with this skill. Right, yeah. In this culture that works for me, with the tribe that I'm supposed to be with, and mm-hmm. and sometimes it it, na- it takes a little bit of navigation to find that level of nirvana. But that also means that there's a little bit of maturity for you. You've got uh, to, I said wholeheartedly, when you're in this growth of growing your career, you got to continue to be a learner. But you also have to continue to be someone who's receptive to feedback and understanding that the way that you may think something should be done may not be the best approach. And if you are able to adjust and, and flex those skills up and down as needed, you know, you're able to demonstrate the capacity for more. Yep. One of the things that I see when I'm coaching leaders all the time is when they are stressed and tight and angry and, you know, that's not the best leader, they're in a level of uncomfort themselves. And so the, the fix that we have to do is we've got to work with that leader first to figure out what the challenge is for them so that they can show up differently for their teams. And when you're sitting in the seat of being the team member, receiving that, that doesn't always feel the best, right? Yeah, for sure. What
1: would you say to people that are starting out in HR now that are pursuing that career in terms of success factors, if, if there's someone that wants to have a good trajectory and end up in a role like yours? So what what would you say are the, the skills that, or the characteristics that you think they need to,
0: to demonstrate? There's so many facets of HR that someone can go into. You you can be a specialist, a purist, or you could be a generalist, someone like us, right? Who kind of dipples and dabbles in a little bit of everything. <laughs> We're a master of many, but uh, what is it? You know what I'm trying to say. So you first have to figure out kind of what aligns to your skill set from an HR perspective. But if you are growing your career in HR, do the fundamentals, right? Learn, learn the fundamentals of the law. Because once you learn the fundamentals of the law and kind of what the, the technical acumen is in the space, you're able to apply that to situations, the other thing I will say is someone in this space cannot be black and white. There is a boundary and a wall that you have to have, right? But black and white HR folks tend to become rigid and manage themselves out of roles because they're not nimble and flex enough, flexible enough to move with the currents and the changes in the organization. Be an extremely good study uh, steward of understanding the business where you work and what your business does, and the levers that make the business successful, you have to understand those in order to apply that fundamental knowledge that you know. If you are just taking your standard HR textbook approach and trying to apply it in an organization, and you don't know how the organization counts EBITDA, how they you know make revenue, right. you know what are their key customers, what are their go-to-market strategies, you won't understand how to apply those and when and where to apply those pieces of knowledge. And the fourth thing I say is continue to be a learner. This space evolves all the time. And so you have to continue to learn in this space. Those fundamental principles don't change, but you can add to them, right? You kind of add to your your toolkit consistently with the the positions that you change.
1: Such great advice. I'd work for you. (laughs) Ah, Thank you, darling. I would come work for you any day. (laughs) <laughs> All right. As we wrap up, thank you so much again. Just it's such a great joy to talk with you. And I feel like there's so much good insight that you shared here that I think people can benefit from. I ask this of, of most our guests, and I, I think it's such an interesting question. But when you think about your own journey and you really think about young Laquenta and Where you are now and the experiences that you've had, what is some advice that you would give her to, you know, make the path a bit easier? I've had people say, I wouldn't change anything. It's not so much about like, I have no regrets. Everything happens for a reason. And I'm a big believer in that. I do think there's some opportunities that it could have made it a little smoother, a little mm-hmm. bit easier right now that you and have the, the benefit of experience. So what would you tell her?
0: I would tell the younger La Quinta yes, to bloom or plant it, realize that life is a journey. It's not a marathon. You're not on a race. You have time. You have time to get there. You have time to grow. You have time to mature into those roles and, and where you see yourself long-term. But you cannot, LaQuinta, you cannot sacrifice experience because experience is your best teacher and you can't go into a room navigating and advising without some experience under your belt. So take some time, you know, balance also would be something else I would tell myself, you know, as I'm at this prime, beautiful age that I'm at now, right? (laughs) In my career yes. balance, I worked a lot and I dedicated a lot to my career. And so I look back and think some opportunities were missed. And it was because my focus was there. So you've got to have balance. And the more you take care of yourself, you're you're able to show up as a better person. So those would be some of the things that I would tell the younger person of myself. There's also everything happens for a reason. Your steps are ordered. Every failure is to teach you something. Every success is to teach you something. Don't be too big headed to recognize that both of them are a lesson.
1: Yeah. And it goes back to your, be a learner, right? Be curious. I think that, that regardless, I, you know, well, one say thing when I was at, or I'll say one thing, when I was at Amazon, there was a lot there. I was like, "Mm." (laughs) from a talent and HR perspective, one thing they do, they debrief the heck out of everything. So if something go south, but even things that are successful, there's a lot of conversation of what made it success. You know, there's just a debrief and an analysis. And so it is healthy to to have that so that it can inform future
0: decisions. It takes time. I and mean, it's a word to make you laugh, word we used to say all the time. It's avoid like post mortem. Remember that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. The postmortem discussion. <laughs> I remember when I first heard that, I was like, "What the post? What? <laughs> what are you the talking about? Coaching, right? the debris." Yeah, yes.
1: and it just helps you because if you're learning and you're always inquisitive and you're trying to ask tough questions about all those experiences, it just makes the next time a bit easier. So,
0: absolutely, and apply that learning to the next thing that you do. Yes, you can. <laughs> Yeah. Please apply that learning like, to the next thing you do. When you roll out your first big project, you're going to have some hiccups, but what are going to be the learnings? And you can apply those to the next event or, you know, big initiative that you have, and it won't be as painful. And yes. then the learnings you learn from there, right? You're applying them to the next one, but also apply your learnings um, as you go along.
1: You're the best. Thank you so oh, much.
0: You. such a pleasure. The same here, <laughs> always.
1: Thank you, LaQuenta. Be a learner. Be open to feedback. Be authentic. Be reflective. Be a good listener. All good pieces of advice. And really so much more. (laughs) I think what I love most about this conversation is that you talked honestly about your own growth areas, your own opportunities for development, how you went at achieving and addressing those gaps And really what you did to do that was ask for feedback and ask people, how did I do? What could I be doing better? It's so refreshing and it's such a difference maker in terms of one's career success and progression. Thank you again. And so great to talk to an old friend. Thank you to Missy and our friends at Kestos for producing this episode. If you enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe and rate relatable. We can be found on your favorite streaming platform. Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills. Check out our website at www.tfasoftskills.com for more information on how we can best support your soft skill needs. Until next time, stay connected.